All right, good evening, everybody. We'll be in Acts chapter 16 tonight, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Acts 16. As we read through the book of Acts and we see the Holy Spirit working, um, forming, building His church, um, you know, I think we forget sometimes that we are the body of Christ, um, the actual body of Christ. So in, in other words, He's not here, but we are, and, and we do Christ's work here. And so um, as He was led by the Spirit to do what the Father told Him to do, we likewise have to be just as in tune as with the Holy Spirit as he was when he was here. Um, sometimes Jesus did things that didn't seem like they were uh, practical or the right timing, and yet they were. They were perfect because something bigger was happening. There's a bigger picture. Sometimes on a chessboard, you'll sacrifice a piece to get position, to take position. So then five to ten moves, checkmate in your favor. And Christ would do that. He went across the sea to minister to two crazy guys in a, in a cemetery that nobody could control and killed a bunch of swine in the process. Well, they killed themselves. They ran off into the sea. But he told those two that he, they can't come with him back across. That's all he came across to do. It was just for those two guys. And he left with his disciples and told those two guys to stay here and to tell everybody about what, had done, what he had done. Now, when they go back across the sea, those guys had ministered to all ten cities in that Decapolis area, and people came out to hear Jesus. It was strategic. It was essential. It was important. It was the next step. And as we go through chapter 16, we're going to see the Holy Spirit lead and guide Paul through this second missionary trip, but not according to Paul's plan. Paul had a plan, and I think that's good that we have plans. We think things through. We should, but we've always got to be open to God changing those plans. And boy, does the Holy Spirit ever change Paul's plans here in chapter 16. Last week he argued, um, maybe argued is a strong word, but it started off as an argument with the council in Jerusalem about whether everybody should be circumcised or not first. And They came to a great conclusion by the power of the Holy Spirit through a word of wisdom, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit, they decided to send the Gentiles just one letter, some simple things they should abstain from to make sure that they didn't offend or hurt other people. And I think last week I quoted or wanted you to look up 1 Corinthians 14, and that was wrong. It's Romans 14, and I apologize for that. Romans 14 is the chapter that you should have read to cor corroborate what they had done there. Um, and we'll read a little bit of that tonight. Um, I actually wrote down the scriptures with actually what they say so that I'm not guessing anymore. Um, my mind just isn't, may never have been, but not good enough to re remember all those things. So Now they said, don't circumcise. I love the way Dr. Luke writes, don't circumcise. That was really all of chapter 15. So what's the first thing he does in chapter 16? Then he, Paul, came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. 
He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Um, Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. So all 15, all last week, you know, we don't need this legalism. We don't need this stuff. The first thing he does to this Greek kid who's half Jewish, half Greek, is you've got to get circumcised, Timothy. And if, that doesn't, if you don't study, if you don't know the heart, if you don't know who Paul is, you'd be like, okay, now wait a minute. What was, what was all that about then, you know? Well, Paul has a love for people. And I think that's important to understand and, 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 and get into our hearts. Paul is ministering from love, not from law. Always from love. And he understands who he's about to be ministering to. Now, the last time he was in Derby and Lister, Derby was great. Lister was where they killed him or wanted to kill him because first they wanted to sacrifice to him because they thought that they were Apollos and Hermes. They thought that they'd got Zeus and, Zeus and Hermes. They'd come down from God. And then they realized they weren't. And then they wanted to kill him. So that's those two places. They're going back through that first missionary trip, stopping in all those cities, finds this guy named Timothy, this kid. And this is the Timothy that First and Second Timothy were written to. Paul writes to that pastor Timothy. That's him. This is where they picked this kid up at. And this kid, five years later, that's the time difference between these missionary trips. Five years, he's coming back through town. And this Timothy kid is a great disciple and wants to bring him on the missions trip. But he knows he's got to go to the synagogues first. He's got to be ministering in these places first. Um, still wants access, and his mom being Jewish and his dad being Greek, the kid wasn't circumcised because dad said not needed. Not needed, probably worshipped like a Greek. But Paul knew that if I walk into a town with a half-Jew, half-Greek kid that's not circumcised, now how they know that, I don't know. But they would have. If it ever got out, then he'd be expelled. You can't come to the synagogue. You're unclean. We don't even want to hear what you have to say because you've been with this unclean Greek kid, you know. And so he says, you've got to get circumcised. And the point of it is, and the reason behind it is, we don't want to stumble these guys before they know Christ. They don't know Christ. We're going to try to minister to them, and we don't want to stumble them, so you need to get this done. It's out of love. So Romans chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes to the Romans, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things. He who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not, let, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. And he goes on and on and on. Verse 21, he finally gets to the point. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. If we're going to start ministering to people and they have a certain thing, whatever that thing is, it's not a matter of right and wrong in your mind, but to them it's a very serious matter, then you steer clear of that thing so that you can minister Christ to them. You don't want to have that thing that you're so proud of, that you've overcome, that you're strong in that you've been set, you've got liberty in. All of that's true, and all that will come to the new believer eventually, but until that happens, until they even become a believer, you've got to be sensitive to those things. You know, I've got a tough role here. We all do. There's a time and a place for that. 
There's a time to have chapter 15 and, and call people out on that and have a huge fuss over it, a big argument. At that point, last, last week, Paul wasn't concerned about any weak brothers in the crowd. I don't care if you're hung up on circumcision or not. Get over it, you guys. You're the church leaders. We ought not be doing this thing. And he lets them have it. On the other hand, now when we're ministering to new people or unbelievers, we've got to be sensitive to that thing. He's very careful, you know. It's the difference between a, a little baby versus a toddler versus some kid in junior high versus some kid who's 20-something. You treat them differently, you know. When you cry and scream because no one's going to, you know, feed you, that's a baby. They need to know if you're 21 years old and you're crying and screaming because nobody's going to feed you, get up. Make your own food, you little brat, you know, kind of thing. And that's the idea here. Paul understands his audience, his crowd, who they are, how far along in the Lord they are, or how far along in the Lord they should be. And he's willing to keep pulling people up. Look, let's first get you saved. Let's be careful here. Let's get born again done first. Now that you're born again and you're an infant, let's bring you up in the ways of the Lord. Slowly but surely, it isn't easy. You've got to be careful with, and gentle with these people, you know. And you've got to know when to have tough love, like Paul did in chapter 15. And you've got to know when to be careful. And the only way you know that is by the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you know how. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, or brothers and sisters, siblings at home, treat each other differently than mom and dad, right? Well, we have that at our house anyway. They, we, have, we have three or four parents in the house, not just Jenny and I, you know, and they like to help sometimes, you know. And we're like, you know, mom and I got this because we know what's best at this point for that kid at this time. And they're like, you know, what do you mean? You're going to let them... Hey, look, you know, you got to trust our parenting skills here. And boy, you got to pay attention to God's parenting skills. And as a brother or sister in the Lord, boy, I can mouth off to any one of my brothers and sisters, you know. That's why we argue and we fuss with each other so much in the church. That's why the body of Christ has such a hard time sitting in the same room together, because we're siblings and haven't learned necessarily how to get along all the time, you know. Why are they wearing that, you know? Why are they doing that? Or why does he sound like that? Or why does he do that? You know, we poke each other. Paul, though, as a father in the faith, being led of the Holy Spirit, knows. He knows when, where, and how. And he's led by the Spirit. So he tells the Romans, be careful about those who are weak in the faith, young in the faith, new in the faith. They have a problem with you eating pork. They're not there yet. So don't have a big ham sandwich while you're talking about Jesus with them. You know, take it easy. On the other hand, we have a brother in the Lord. He's a, he's a pastor. His name's Mark Martin, Calvary Chapel pastor. Came out of the Seventh-day Adventist church. Don't eat meat, no pork at all. Can't have that. And so he's sitting down with Pastor Chuck, and he's saying, you know, I really want to be a Calvary Chapel pastor. I really feel like God's leading me in that direction. He goes, well... I know your background. He's very gracious with him. And he says, but how are you with that meat thing? Where are you at? And he looked at Chuck's sandwich. He grabbed it and took a big bite of a ham sandwich. He says, all right. Because if you're going to be a pastor, you can't have those hang-ups. You can't have those hang-ups. You can't have that legalism. 
There's a time and a place to push, to lead, to pull. And we've got to be led by the Spirit when that is. Paul says, look, Timothy, hey, I know you're a brother in the Lord. I know I just argued this wasn't necessary. In fact, Silas has got to be like, we're just watching this whole thing, learning. We've got to get you circumcised, man, or they're not going to hear a word we have to say. Timothy, being a good disciple, says, hey, not I that live, that Christ live in me. You know, I, I already told him my life was his. If he wants to take it a piece at a time, go ahead. You know, here we go. And he does it. I mean, what a great kid. What a great brother. We're going on a mission. How many of you would go on a mission trip if that was required of you? Hi, I'm trying to raise funds for my mission trip. You thought that was bad. I know I'm putting, well, I'm focusing on this, but this is real live actual spirit-led ministry, Christianity, missions trips happening right in front of our eyes here. This is how it's done. This is the model we have of how to minister overseas, other people groups, led by the Spirit, being prepared for whatever is coming our way, having no idea what's in front of us at the time, only that we must go. You know, If it means working hard on a ship just to get across the ocean... Granted, you don't sit there and say, well, I didn't reach my funding goals, so therefore I'm not going. If I got five bucks, I guess God's going to get me there with five bucks, and I'm going to work hard on some big freight liner, you know, and I'm going to jump off from port to port and get my, it may take me five years to get there, but I'm getting there, you know. That's ministry, and that's what these guys do. You want to come along? Yeah. Okay, well, I got this flint rock, and they get ready to go. Verse 4, and as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So they did what they were intending to do. They wanted to minister to these people and strengthen the churches. But this is five years later. I'm all for evangelism and I'm all for bringing people up in the Lord. But do you understand he left these guys alone for five years to grow in the Lord? He was there for a couple months, ministered to them, got out of town, went to the next city, came back five years later to see how they were doing. And people like Timothy were growing up in these churches. You know, All I'm saying is the Holy Spirit's got this. He really does. He knows what he's doing. He's not dependent upon our follow-ups, although follow-ups are good, but this is a five-year follow-up. And apparently things are going great. Now, there are some other things that weren't going so great, but this was. So he increased them and strengthened them, and they were, they were doing great as these guys came through town. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to uh, Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we, that's important, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Who just joined them? Dr. Luke. He switched from they, 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 to me and us, or we and us. We, now we're going. So they picked up Dr. Luke at Troas. That's when he got on board this missions trip. So it's been Paul, it's been Timothy, it's been uh, Silas, 
And now it's Dr. Luke, so it's a four-man team now as they move on. Now, before we move on to the next section, God leads us not only by open doors, but by closed doors. Paul gets several closed doors here by the power of the Holy Spirit showing him. You can't go. Now, no, we don't know what was said. We don't know how the Holy Spirit spoke. All we know is they got a clear message from God. We can't go there. We can't preach the Word of God in Asia, the Holy Spirit says. Now, that's just foreign to us. A lot of us don't understand that. Why wouldn't the Word of God need to be preached in Asia? It's not God's time. Paul's not the man. Um, Who knows what? It doesn't matter. It's God's chessboard. We're just pieces. And if he decides to move us here, there, or the other, makes no difference. Stephen, of all things, yep, he got sacrificed early. But for what reason? To gain advantage on the board with Paul. And now he's got Paul moving around. I mean, things happen in strange ways. But God does them. If we're not paying, to the Holy, paying attention to the Holy Spirit, if Paul wasn't, he might have pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, got dis- and that's where discouragement comes. Pushed and pushed and pushed to get to Asia until finally he says, fine, I'm going back. If I can't go to Asia, I guess I'm done. I guess God doesn't want to use me. Instead of just saying, just bumping into that wall and saying, oh, okay, so we're not going this way. Are we going this way? And he bumps into another wall. No, we're not going that way. Okay, we better pray about this, guys. So they wait and prayed, and Paul got a vision. I want you to go here. I want you to go all the way over to this side. I'm going, you guys want to go to Asia. I'm taking you all the way to Europe. We're going to move past this all the way over to another continent. That's where I want to take you clear over here to Macedonia. And Paul is so led by the Holy Spirit that he's willing to sacrifice his own plans to go to this place that God wants him to go to. Joshua chapter 7 is all about a mistake they made. Joshua uh, was to conquer the land, taking over the responsibilities of the children of Israel, bringing them into the promised land and conquering this land of Canaan. That's what he was called to do. Well, they had done pretty good so far, listening to the Lord, doing what he said, but they came to this city called Ai. And Joshua said, well, you know, let's not send all the troops. I'm giving you an overview of chapter 7. We're really going to focus on verse 10. Let's not take everybody. Let's just take a few people and do this. And they got whooped. 3,000 other people died and came back with their tail between their legs. And these are the chosen people who have God, Yahweh, on their side. And Joshua is upset. He doesn't understand what's happening. He begins to fuss and cry and moan, and, and he actually falls on the ground. I mean, the guy is throwing a tantrum in front of the Lord. And here's the Lord's response to Joshua's tantrum in verse 10 of chapter 7. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up, exclamation point, which means he yelled it. And I can't imagine what that would sound like. If when God talks, it's like the voice of many waters, as we've discovered before, when he yells... Must have been earth-shaking. Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Because I didn't get, you know, I'm sure he didn't answer, but. Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken some of the accursed things, and have stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. God uses the word stuff. I like that. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, 
but turn their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves tomorrow because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away this accursed thing from among you. Joshua, you didn't seek me. You didn't ask me before you went. You went off past experiences. You went ahead and did without even talking to me about it. We got to get this taken care of first. If you'd have sought me before you'd gone, we would have taken care of this and you'd have 3,000 more people with you. But instead, you did it on your own. We don't operate like that as the body of Christ. Never have and never should. Well, that's just what we did in the past, or that's how things have always been done, or that's just how we do things. We don't know why. It worked in the past. Mm -mm. You pray about everything. You seek the Lord about everything. It isn't automatic. And they got in trouble because of it. Now, he does this. This is the sin of Achan, and they, they get this all figured out and figure out who stole the stuff, who's got it in their tent, all the way down to one guy from one tribe. His name's Achan. They'd stone the guy. Chapter 18, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Joshua, after they removed the sin, after they sought the Lord, after they humbled themselves and got things right, do not be afraid nor dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Now we can go to work. Got to pray. You've got to seek the Lord. It's not automatically a yes. There's timing involved. Certain people minister to certain people. Some of us have really good can-do attitudes. We're really strong personalities. And that is a blessing. And that can be a blessing if it's in God's hands. But when it's in our own hands, that can take us pretty far down the wrong path before we realize, i got to turn around. Anybody ever been that bullheaded before in their life? I'm not going to look anybody in the eye right now. I know I have. Just bullheaded. And I was strong enough to tug my will against God's windstorm against me, saying, stop. And I'm like, I can do this. And I just kept trudging along until finally I said, well, maybe God's not in this. And he said, you know, duh. I've been trying to tell you that. It's been a closed door. You can't just... Do what you feel like doing. If God puts something on your heart, great. Then pray about it. If you come into a closed door or you feel like God's saying stop, learn to thank God for those stops. I tell you what, it's, he's stopping you and protecting you from going in the wrong direction. He's never doing it because he's mad at us or, or angry. He's saying, no, you can't go on in that direction because I'm not going to be with you there. It's not where I'm going. It's not what I want. It's not where I'm leading. It's going to be a, a long time for you to finally make that U-turn and come back to me. So, you know, hold off a little bit. So he tells him to wait. Don't go into those towns yet. I want you to go to Macedonia. And so he gets this big vision of this guy. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And what they bring with them is the gospel. That's it. They don't get a bunch of food ready. They don't get a bunch of clothes ready. They don't get a bunch of dolls ready. There's nothing wrong with that at times. But sometimes we can put that ahead of the gospel. 
The biggest help anybody needs is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can feed them for a couple days. I can give them a doll that can, they can play with until someone steals it from them or they lose it or it gets destroyed. That's so temporary. It's not eternal. That's why Jesus, I think, related himself so much to the bread of life. I know you guys want me to make five loaves and two fish turn into a bunch of food again. I know you think that was cool, and it was, and it was needed at the time because you were three days starving, and you wouldn't have made it back to town. It was a necessity. But what was most important was the bread of life, the bread of eternity that I was trying to give you, the thing that was going to keep you going forever versus this temporary food that's going to get you back to your town. It's so unimportant of course, you need to help the poor. You need to take care of the fatherless, the widow. Of course, all those scriptures matter. But if we don't give them the gospel, then they go to hell full, or they go to hell not thirsty, or they go to hell fully clothed. They've got to hear the gospel. That's the biggest thing Haiti needs. Haiti needs Jesus. Haiti had an earthquake. Haiti needed a lot of help. They needed a lot of support. And, and I think you need to meet those physical needs so that people can hear the gospel. I think that's important. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But that's why we go is for the gospel is to tell people about Jesus so that those souls don't go to hell. So they don't leave so that when we leave or whoever leaves and they've got a roof over their head and they've got food in their stomach, they don't thank their black magic gods for the provision, you know, but they know Jesus at the end of it. And so they bring them what they need. These four men are now going to head off. Paul's got his personal physician with him here at Troas, which he wouldn't have had. I mean, imagine if he had gone to Asia. If he had gotten there, he'd have missed Luke. Because he goes to Asia first, and he goes to Mysia, and then he goes to Bithynia, and then he finally gets down there to Troas, and, and that's where he picks him up. That's exciting, you know? Dr. Luke writes the Gospel of Luke and this book of Acts, which is so essential to us. Man, we just don't know what God's doing. We've got to pray and seek the Lord and wait on Him and do what He says. When we run into a closed door, yes, thank you, God, for that closed door. What a dreadful mistake that would have been. You know, I'd have been paying for that the rest of my life. Verse 11, Therefore, Sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. Uh, I've heard this pronounced, and I just can't get it in my head. Does anybody know? Samothrace? Samothrace? That's close enough. And the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. So it's a little outskirting town there. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. That means there wasn't enough men in this tiny little colony to have a synagogue. I think they needed five. I'm not sure. Five or ten men. I can't remember how many it was. Do you know? Ten? Ten men. And so they didn't have 10 men, and so they met by the river for prayer. Isn't that great? I think that's great. We can't have a synagogue, so we can't worship. No, we'll just go down by the river and pray. I mean, we can still, we can still do this. We just do it with what we have. It's been a good lesson for me in the ministry. A good lesson for all of us, I hope. 
Do what you can do. Don't do what you can't do. I always worry about how come it's not, you know, when I, man, when I get a vision of something, of what it's going to be and what it's going to look like, I get this huge thing in my head, you know, huge. Oh, it's going to be great. We have helicopters and there's going to be skydivers and skywriting. You know, I got this thing going on, this big outreach. Or it'll be a pop-up tent with five of us at Beale Park. You know what I mean? And you do what you can do. And you let God do whatever he wants to do. And don't be upset that it's not as big as you imagine. Your expectations, I think, our expectations can get way ahead of us. I just think about Philip. I want you to leave this wonderful revival that's taking place, this, this, this amazing thing going on. I mean, talking, it made Billy Graham's crusades look tiny compared to what was happening there. And I want you to go down to this road that leads to Gaza and minister to one guy in a chariot, you know? Anyway, so they go down by the river. There's no synagogue. They don't get discouraged. They go to where the prayer is. So they go down. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. What a blessing, right? What a blessing. It's nice. You don't rely on that stuff. You don't look for that stuff. But sometimes God will send you someone just to encourage you, you know. And she says, man, I just, I opened my, she received it. She thought it was great. I love your ministry. I want to support your ministry. Come on over. Stay at my house. Oh, I don't, we don't need to do that. We just lose, we sleep under the stars. You know, we're guys. We're, oh, don't do that. Come over to my house. I got a lot of purple, uh, you know, blankets there you can use. You know, come on over. I just love it. So she persuaded us. Yeah, okay, we'll come. What a blessing she was. What a great time to show up um, for her to be brought into their lives. Because they're going to run into problems. Right before they go into prison, right before they're beaten, right before they're shackled, right before one of their darkest times in their missionary trips, this lady comes along right beforehand just to give them a little boost. You know what? God's with you. God's with you. What an exciting thing. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. Now, she did this in such a way that would be very annoying. That's what it says here. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, not to her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. Sometimes there are certain things that sing your praises that you just rather not sing your praises. This is one of those times where we don't need help here, you know. Now I don't know if she had some cackly voice like a witch or something. These men, you know, and freaked everybody out. Or whether she was just constantly annoying and just, you know, whatever. And Paul just looked at her and says, in the name of Jesus, you know, and boom, the spirit was gone. Now, here's the thing. A great work of God is about to start. This girl is possessed by a demon. She gives the spirit, she has the spirit of divination. 
She's owned by masters. And look what happens right away in verse 19. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, which means they were present when this was happening, more than likely they were walking with her. You don't leave someone like that out of your sight. She's got handlers. And so here's these guys. They've got a crowd. Things are happening. Lydia's with them, the purple-selling lady. They're going down to prayer. And here comes this lady. And people, you know, things, paraministries come saddling up alongside, seeing the crowd, selling their hot dogs, selling their Christian merch, you know, come alongside and try to, I don't know, mooch or leech off of the ministry that's taking place there. And she just was not a blessing to Paul or the guys. You know what? We don't need your help right now. And so she... It's freed up from this demon. And I want to really point that out. He is not mad at her. She has a spirit of demonization, and he frees her up from that. Now, we don't know what happens to her, but anyway. These guys are going to lose money now. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. He didn't grab the other two. Timothy and, and Luke are not taken here. And we're assuming that's because they were Greek. But they don't all four get arrested, just these two Jews get arrested. And that's the idea behind this. It's anti-Semitism. And that's really, it's prevalent throughout scriptures, obviously, but it's also prevalent even today. You can see anti-Semitism on the rise again. And, and rightly so. It's supposed to. It's, that's how it's going to be. When Jesus first started coming, when, but when his first coming, anti-Semitism was insane. It was insane. And ever since, I mean, all through the Bible, you've got... Uh, the 14th, it was April 14th, um, Purim. We just, they, the Jews just celebrated Purim, which is the story of uh, Esther. Um, and, and they remembered that time when Haman tried to kill the entire Jewish nation. Um, when we had Hitler trying to kill the entire Jewish nation, and we still have all the Arabs around Israel still trying to kill the Israeli nation. I mean, there's, it's still happening today, and it's on the rise. And so they arrest the two Jews, but they leave the Greeks alone. They let those guys go. Um, so they grab these guys and arrest them because they've, 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 uh, they've touched their wallets. You know? Oh, we're so glad your church is in town. Or we're so glad your ministry's here. We're so glad you're here. This is exciting. You know? We want to support you. We want to come alongside you. We want to help you. Well, we're going to talk about sin. And we're going to talk about freeing people up from sin. And we're going to talk about things that people shouldn't be doing and should be doing. There's going to be right and wrong, and there's going to be people getting saved and not doing what they used to do. And some of these businesses that were excited about you coming into town because they're not used to such open, bold speak about Jesus and about sin, when they come in contact with it, they're offended. That's offensive. You've touched our wallets. People aren't going to the bars anymore. People aren't doing the things they used to do. They don't feel comfortable anymore. So they arrest these guys. They drag them to the, into the marketplace, to, to the authorities there. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. We're under Roman control. These guys are telling us that we're supposed to worship some other king, they can't be saying that because you know we're all Caesar's subjects. And so these guys need to, something needs to happen to them. That's the idea. We need to get them. 
Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Quite a trial there. These guys haven't even had a chance to talk. They've had this great, uh, you know, this specific accusation of they're causing trouble in our town. Oh, well, then we'll beat them, you know. Didn't even get to ask them what happened. And when they had laid many stripes on them, and what that means is they beat them with those rods several times, um, they threw them into the prison, or into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. He was worried. These are like, these are high-value targets. These, things, these guys need to be in the middle of the prison, you know, not on the outskirts, right in the middle. We'll put them in stocks and chains and the darkest part of the prison. We've got to keep these guys. So the jailer knew that was his responsibility, make sure they're taken care of. Everybody's mad at these guys. Now, look at this. Still being led by the Holy Spirit, still paying attention. Tell me what you would do. If you were in stocks, if you'd gotten beaten to a bloody pulp and you're in the middle of a jail and this happens, tell me what you would do. Think about this. I know what I'd do. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. What? I mean, maybe. Maybe you would be praying, oh, dear God, you know, more like that kind of prayer. Help me out of here kind of thing. Get us out of this place. I don't want to die here. There's rats. It smells. I don't know about singing hymns. But they were. They were singing hymns, God to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. You know? These guys understand something, that ministry happens wherever you are. You have to go someplace to minister. It's wherever you are right now, there's ministry all around you, all the time. Mission fields aren't over there. They're wherever you are. I've got to get out of prison so I can go minister. No, you don't. Your ministry's right where you are. It's right here. doesn't mean you don't go to Troas. It doesn't mean you don't go to Asia eventually when God allows. But right here, right now, guys, we're going to minister wherever we are all the time. Paul was in the habit of being a missionary anywhere. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Answered prayer, right? Run for the hills, run for the doors. Anybody read this before knows what happens. These guys don't leave, they stay there. What happened with Peter? They prayed to get out. God sent an angel, all the doors open. He got kicked in the side. I love that part. It's my favorite part of that story. The angel kicks Peter in the side and says, get up, hurry up, we've got to get out of here, and they leave. Okay, so this is a jailbreak. It's just like what happened to Peter, right? No, because they're led of the Spirit. Paul is ministering by love. Paul says, no, we're not going anywhere. No one's kicked me in the side. No angel's here to lead me out. I don't care if the shackles have fallen off. I don't care if the doors have opened. I don't care if an earthquake took place. I'm not going. That's amazing to me. You must be led of the Holy Spirit. And because they're led of the Holy Spirit, because not even that was enough of, for them to move, they get to minister to this guy. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. 
not just Paul and Silas are here. We're all here. Every prisoner stayed. From some prayer and from hymn singing, these guys all heard and stayed with these guys. I would rather be in this dark prison with these prayer warriors and these hymn singers than free They don't kill yourself, we're all still here. You're what? Because you automatically, you lose your life. If you lose Roman prisoners, if you lose your prisoners, it's your head. That's, that's, the, that's the deal. You get paid great for running the prison, but if you lose anybody, you're dead. We don't have those problems today, thank goodness, here. But he did, and he knew it. Shame upon my whole family. I've lost everybody. Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Who are you guys? He's trembling at the fact that they loved him so much that they didn't run out. Dude, if we ran out, you'd be dead. We didn't want that, so we stayed. Even though you beat us, even though you put us in stocks, even though you put us in chains, we cared that much about you. And that's what breaks people, folks. That's what tells people about Jesus. That's where their hearts get opened. That love. No selfishness here. No, Paul is a minister of ministers, man. This guy is a pastor of pastors. This guy knows how to shepherd. This guy knows what he's doing. Do yourself no harm, for we're all here. You're kidding me. I want to know this Jesus. So they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your, and your household. That's the message he gets. Well, first I need to take you to the Ten Commandments so you know what you've done wrong. Then we're going to talk about repentance and the meaning of what believe really means to believe. And then justified. And we're going to talk about imputing the righteousness of Christ. Mm-mm, none of that. Look how quick this is. Look how short this is. Look how sweet the gospel is. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Amazing. So much for the books written, the endless volumes written on how to minister the gospel to people. Look, when it's time and you're led of the Holy Spirit and you've got enough guts to be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that you don't run out of prison when you get the chance after being beaten and shackled in the middle of the darkest place knowing your death was imminent, Believe me, the Holy Spirit will give you the gospel and the words to speak at that time. And he does. Now, I'd like to move on, but unfortunately the way we've got false teachers in this world, you can't move off of 31 because people get confused. This is the verse they use to tell you that if you get saved, your whole household can can get saved just because you got saved. That your salvation transfers to other people. We talked a little bit about this on Sunday and uh, with, with the Lutheran church and with christening and with baby baptisms and all that stuff and how your salvation can be given from somebody else to you and it can't. That's not what he's saying here. You can get saved by believing on Jesus Christ and your household can get saved by believing on Jesus Christ. But everybody's personally responsible for receiving Christ as their Lord and Savior. It, doesn't, it isn't like I get saved and Bo got saved when I got saved. No, Bo's got to make a choice for himself. Everybody does. But they use this. So let me take you, I'm sorry, laboriously through some of these scriptures and their thinking. Um, some of the teachers that teach about um, this salvation, 
the other side of this is generational curses. The reason I put those things together is because some people think that if you're saved, you can get your household saved. Likewise, if I sin, then, then Bo gets my penalty for my sin. Generational curses. You'll hear that taught from Joel Olstein, um, Joyce Meyer. Um, these are false teachings. These are false teachers. Be careful about that stuff. Um, but there's no such thing as generational curses. So let me, let me teach you or show you from Scripture, not from my opinion, not from Calvary, just from God's Word so we understand this. Numbers 14, verse 18. This is the verse they use. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, but He by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Generational curse, right? No. That's not what he's talking about. And in context, he clearly says that and explains that. What he's saying is, if I'm an alcoholic and I've got alcohol in my home constantly, I'm not saying alcohol is bad, but you know what an alcoholic is. It's someone who goes to excess. And your kids repeatedly see you going to excess. They either run all the way away from it or they jump right along with you into it. And that curse now is passed on to those kids. And then they start doing it and their kids do it. You beat your wife. Your kids watch you constantly beat your wife. Kids are going to grow up thinking, well, that's what you do. You beat your wife. And they beat their wives, and they beat their kids, and they beat their wives, and they beat their kids. That's the only kind of generational curse. It's just learned behavior that you pick up and you take that sin with you. That's why God wipes out in the Old Testament entire towns, including the infants. From the old to the young is because they've seen this. They're tainted. They're getting raised for hell. If I stop it now, all of these little ones, before the age of accountability, they're in heaven. And all the older ones get what they were gotten coming anyway. And I've stopped that. I've jumped in. I've stepped in. There's no such thing as generational curses. Jeremiah 31, verses 29 through 30. In those days they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, I had a lemon and my kids can taste it. Sin, transferring over. Nothing you could do about it. They just got it. No more will they say that. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. You die for your own sins, not for everybody else's. Now, granted, everybody does have sin. Everybody does die by their sin. They all have to have Jesus. But everyone dies by their own iniquity. Every man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. That's, only, that's as far as it goes. Now, this is the best. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 20 through 22. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But, look at this, this is Old Testament stuff. But if the wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does not, or does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. So if there's repentance, it's all good. Jump down to verse 24. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of his unfaithfulness of which he is guilty, and the sin which he has committed, because of them he shall die. 
Why generational curses? Because just like everyone shall die by his own iniquity, everybody gets saved by their own choice to receive Christ. That's the idea. It's a spiritual truth. It's a law. It's how it works. That's how God's designed it. So I had to say that because some people think that I've got this spirit that's been hovering over my family for generations and I need to break this spirit that he doesn't have power over me anymore. No, you need to just stop sinning yourself. It doesn't matter what they've done. You've decided to do what they've done and therefore you're guilty, maybe. But you need to just stop. I was sharing that with you a little bit. Not about your sin. He's like, me, my sin. Not your sin, but about how it takes one dad to go ahead and say, I'm going to sacrifice right now and start saving my money and not living beyond my means so that my kids can have a good start. And if they do the same thing, all of a sudden you've got kids that are doing really well and you break that poverty cycle. You break that cycle of dependency, you know? It takes one, one dad to stop doing drugs. It takes one dad to stop beating his wife. It takes one dad to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior and, you, and, and live it at home. And you see it. And you see it happening. It breaks that cycle. It's a cycle. It's not a generational curse. Okay? Okay. Had to do that because it's taught today and it's like, how do they get this stuff, man? Don't they read the whole Bible? You've got to read all of it. That Ezekiel is so clear. Ezekiel 18 is just amazingly clear. Look, you, you sin, you die. You don't sin, you don't die. That's how it works. You know, I love God's so practical and so straightforward. Okay, deep breath. Here we go. I'll move on. Then they spoke the word, verse 32, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same, the same hour of the night and worshiped, or, sorry, worshiped, washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. And when they had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. This is exciting. Now, watch this. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the officers saying, let these men go. Where were they? They go to this guy's house. They get everybody saved. They have a baptism. They have a meal and they head back to prison. They're back at the prison now. You got to put the, the stocks are a little loose, John. You know, sorry about this, guys. I mean, this is amazing. So trusting in God, so led by the Spirit. All the other, all the other disciples, the other prisoners are like, "How to go?" You know, it's so great as they show back up at prison, and then they say, um, "We're going to let these guys go." So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. This is where Paul, like a rooster, his little feathers just pop up. He gets that way sometimes. I like this. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us in prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. This is guts in the stocks, in the middle of prison. The earthquake's already taken place. They had a little ministry that went on that night. They came back, and they're still sitting in their stocks. He says, you guys have been set free. You know, and as a new believer, wouldn't you be excited? Isn't God great? You guys can go. Let me unlock these. Paul says, leave them locked. Have them come down here and come get us themselves because we're Roman citizens. And if you don't know the, the story, Roman citizens can't be beaten. 
not without a trial, not without a fair trial, not without, I mean, everything going just right, and they beat him, and now they're in big trouble because you beat a Roman citizen, you die. So every one of those magistrates is guilty and has a death sentence waiting over them. And Paul decides to pull this trump card out now. You know? Oh, really? Funk. You know? Queen of spades. Oh, man. You tell them to come down here and get us themselves. So, then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. Not yet. Would you guys please go when we're ready? I love this, you know? Who's in charge? God's in charge. God is in charge. God is sovereign, and these guys know it, and they walk around understanding who their father is, who it is they serve, who their master is, who opens prison doors, who shuts prison doors, who puts us in dark places, who gives us stripes and allows it to happen, who sets us free, who gives us visions, who closes doors. They know who's in charge, and they're obedient to their master, and they say, we're not leaving yet. We're going to Lydia's house first. Amazing. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. And that's it. What a great way to end. Paul obeys the law, but Paul also uses the law when it's time. This isn't the only time he's going to pull this trump card. He's going to do it later on when he appeals to Caesar because he realizes he's not getting a fair trial. He can do that, and he does that. And I think that's important for us to remember too. Obey the law. Minister within the laws of the land. It's important. It's okay. It's okay to do that. We're not, we're not compromising. It's okay to follow and obey the laws and the rules, you know, um, always remembering, though, who's in charge and who God has um, and how God controls our lives anyway. So that's where we close tonight. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for Dr. Luke. We thank you for Timothy. We thank you for um, Silas, God, um, all these guys. It's just what a great example for us. The young guys singing psalms and praying in prison and not running scared with their tail between their legs like John Mark did. These guys are amazing. God, we want to be like these folks. We don't want to go off past experience. We don't want to go off the, the playbook of Christianity. We want to be led by your Spirit each and every day. Who to minister to, who not to minister to, what to say, when not to say it, when to keep our mouths shut, when to open them, when to run for the hills, get hidden in a basket and led over the side of a wall, or when to, to stand up, to take the stripes, to go to the prison. Um, when to go on a missions trip, when not to go on a missions trip. Lord, we, we so need your Holy Spirit. So God, we want to ask tonight that you give us a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. If we've gotten caught up with the cares of this world and the cares of this life, and it's, it's, uh, it's deafened us from hearing you, God, remove those cares. Remove those things that have caused us to not be able to see or hear uh, your leading in our lives, God. Because that's all that matters, is to be led by you. The reason we work is to minister, to share people, to share Jesus with people that we live around and work around, God. We live where we live on purpose so that we can minister Jesus to those around us, God. It may feel like prison, but that prisoner needs and the jailkeeper needs Christ. Um, help us to see that, to be missionaries wherever you have us and to be content there, to sing hymns, Lord, to be in prayer and to rest knowing that wherever you have us is the best place for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.